Conversations with Orbita, a podcast dedicated to helping healthcare and life science organizations reimagine the patient journey with conversational AI. This is where automation meets empathy. Welcome, everybody, to this episode seven of Conversations with Orbita. My name is Nate Trelore. I'm president and co-founder of Orbita. And today I'm joined by Dr. Terry Fisher. And Terry and I go back a few years anyway. Um, Terry, is it true that you're dubbed the voice doctor? I somehow managed to get that nickname at one of the voice conferences. It is true. Yeah. Uh, well, we won't use it again unless you want us to. Um, <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> you but, can just call uh, me Terry. Okay. From now on. Thank you, Terry, for joining us. And I'm very excited about this conversation because, uh, um, and I also will share with the listeners here that I mentioned episode seven of this conversations with Orbita and uh, just learned from Terry that he's done somewhere around 1400 podcasts. So it's not without a little bit of anxiety that uh, I jump on a podcast with Terry and uh, attempt to replicate his prowess as a podcaster. You're so kind. again, Terry, Terry, thank you for joining us. Um, our topic today is, um, I'll call it going back to our roots. Um, and I would say both for Terry and I, um, our roots in the applications of voice, voice assistive technology in healthcare. And uh, the roots for us at Orbita are that we really cut our teeth in this idea of virtual assistive technology by dabbling really in the earliest days with uh, Amazon Alexa and voice assistive technology first. We've since evolved in our technology and our platforms and our, and our solutions are more broadly applicable. Omni-channel is a phrase we use, which means that they can uh, be virtual assistants that are delivered over an Alexa device or over a chatbot, text or mobile chatbot or even a, an interactive voice response uh, over a traditional telephone. And then uh, Terry, I'll, uh, I'll uh, go so far as to say, it's also a bit of a return for, to the roots for you because uh, you and I met, I think maybe at one of the very first healthcare or voice conferences, and we were both interested in applications in healthcare. And since then, you've uh, you know, broadened your scope a bit to uh, more than just healthcare. Is that fair? Absolutely, Nate. No, that, I think that's a really, Really fair statement, and, and I like that going back to our roots because absolutely, we the context that we met in was at the intersection of health and, and voice. So absolutely, yeah. And uh, going back to our roots, it sounds like we're going back a, a couple decades. We're not talking about that far back, <laughs> no. right? No. In the big scheme yeah. of things, it's a couple of years. So it's just it's maybe three years, and that just shows you how uh, how quickly this industry has evolved, and, and uh, you know how voice which was so novel um and i and i won't say that voice technology is particularly new because uh, technologies for transcription and healthcare and and elsewhere have been around for quite a while but it was these smart speakers and these smart devices that had voice built into them that uh, has transformed how people view voice assistive technology a lot of us use voice on our smartphones to do text messaging and um, increasingly voice is becoming a modality of communication. And, and I think you and I, you know, bonded on this idea that the future of user experiences is going to be voice, not solely voice, but um, as this technology has evolved and the quality of things like voice recognition has improved, 
to such a degree that um, you know it's an, it's it's an inevitable that it is going to be mainstream, and we've seen that happen. I agree, hundred percent, and that's again that's that's what we were discussing when we first met. Uh, how voice, uh, I believe, and, and and as you were alluding to there, is going to be a primary way that people interface interact with computers. And as you said as well, it's very important to distinguish. It's not going to be the only way. Um, People familiar with the voice tech community will know that there's this phrase voice first. Uh, to me, that means that people will interface with the computers primarily through their voice because it's the most uh, efficient, seamless, and for a number of other reasons that we can get into. Um, but but it's not only. There are certain use cases where voice is, is not the best way to interface with the computer. So it's going to be a combination of the two, but certainly voice will play a huge role in that. Yeah, yeah we'll come back to that. But let, let's, um, let's just check in uh, with you, Terry. What have you been up to? Um, I'm obviously very familiar with your uh, voice and healthcare podcasts from the early days, let's call them. Uh, what do you have cooking? What's, what's, uh, what are these 1,400 podcasts you've been generating over the last few years? <laughs> Thanks, Nate. Um, yeah, you're right. The, well, to make a long story short, really, um, I'm in Canada. I'm a physician in, in Vancouver, and I guess it's about three or four years now when I first really became aware of voice technology and that meant that I became aware of some of the voice assistants and primarily it was actually Amazon Alexa that I first became aware of um, and at that time uh, I was very interested in learning more about technology I've always been very interested in technology in addition to education and when I started to look for resources to learn about it there, there actually just wasn't much available and I thought hey why don't I just create some resources for fun I love tech I love creating stuff I love I love educating and it was just a great way to combine all these interests. And so I launched, uh, my first podcast was the Alexa in Canada podcast, really just educating Canadians about the technology. As I got deeper and deeper into the space, people started asking me because of my profession, you know, what do you think of the implications of this technology is on healthcare? And the more I thought about it, the more I realized there are huge implications on healthcare. And I dove into that space. And that's when, uh, as you mentioned, I, I launched uh, another website, Voice First Health. And I know that uh, I've had the pleasure of interviewing you, Nate, and, and other other members of your team on that podcast uh, previously as well. And then things um, evolved from there. Uh, I've, I've be <laughs> Maybe I could say a little bit obsessed with voice technology. Um, I, a couple of other things have started. I, I, I have been doing a flash briefing, which is like a, a little mini podcast. And that's what you're referring to, yep. where I'm up to I've actually lost count, but I think it's about 1,200 episodes for the flash briefing in particular, all about little tidbits and how people can maximize uh, their use of voice tech. Um, and I've also had a lot of fun with creating some uh, newer events under the brand The Voice Den, bringing people together to ask questions. Um, and my latest my latest project is actually uh, uh, organizing the first conference uh, about voice technology, which will be held solely on Clubhouse. It's going to be a 28-hour event. Um, and just ha having people speak about anything that has to do with the intersection of voice technology and fill in the blank. And so those are some of the things I've been up to. That's great. Um, the, uh, the voice flash briefings are, I mentioned to you before we started recording, I, I, I think they're fantastic. And if uh, no one's listened to them and you have any kind of curiosity around these voice assisted technologies, um, you should definitely check them out um, on your favorite podcast platform. Um, two minutes long on average, right? And you um, basically 
wax poetic on some feature or idea or capability that's available. And uh, I think generally on uh, Alexa, though I, I did notice you refer to her as Lexi sometimes. I think I know yeah. why. Maybe you want to explain that. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so that you're, you're exactly right. I mean, I cover different things, different topics, different commands. You can say different skills sometimes or that sort of thing. The reason I, I call... A L E X A Lexi on the mm-hmm. on the uh, flash briefings because people are typically listening to the flash briefings on their uh, Lexi devices, if you will. And if I say the word A L E X A, it actually interrupts the stream because it's triggering the device to listen for a command. Yeah. So we've given Alexa the nickname Lexi, and that's uh, what I do now to try to prevent it from interrupting the stream for all the yeah. listeners out there. As I suspected, very clever. Well, let's, like I said before, let's go back to our roots for a bit. You mentioned that when you were first doing the uh, Alexa in Canada podcast, you had people asking you about, all right, well, you're a doctor. Um, What are the thoughts and implications of uh, voice assistant technology and healthcare? And um, I think in those days, we saw a few promising early use cases that emerged, but um, you know, what did you see early on that got you so interested in the applications in healthcare? And then maybe you could talk a little bit about how you've seen that evolve over the last uh, few years. Yeah, it's a great question. I think initially the 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 reason I got so excited about it was because when I started to think uh, of voice as a new way of interacting with computers, and as far as I'm concerned, I think it's a completely different paradigm shift. You know, one of the things that I've given a lot of thought to is the way that voice is different than using a touch screen or using a mouse or using a keyboard. And I know you'll be familiar with this, Nate. After giving this a lot of thought, I've, I've broken it down to five main reasons. Voice, v, and, and, I've, and I've used the letters in voice to sort of help to solidify that, that those thoughts, V-O-I-C-E. And voice is really versatile. It allows you to multitask. Um, so that that's the V, versatile. O, omnipresent, it, it's sound, it's around you. So you don't actually have to be looking at a screen or at any particular written word. You can be aware of what's going on regardless of where you are looking. So that's the, the O, the omnipresent part. I is stands for innate. Um, when we're born, that's the first thing that we do. We use our voices to express ourselves. We cry when we're born. Um, and so that's very powerful and uh, you know on its own. Um, C, contextual. When I'm speaking, you can hear the emotion in my voice. Uh, I, you know, how often have you received an email or written an email that was misinterpreted because somebody couldn't tell if you were trying to be funny or sarcastic or whatever the case may be, but you can hear that in someone's, someone's voice. And that's got huge implications on its own for, for healthcare. When you start to get into the issue of, uh, vocal biomarkers and what you can detect from the sound of someone's voice. Um, and then E, uh, being efficient. Uh, when we speak, we speak at 150 words per minute on average, and the average person types at about 40 words per minute. So you're looking at about a three to four times efficiency rate that's faster when you speak. And and when I started to now take all this together and I realized the, the fact that computing power is is has advanced enough that we can now talk to a computer and a computer can understand what we are saying and respond to us intelligently means that we have this new way of communicating. And on top of that, when you take a device like the smart speakers, which are relatively inexpensive devices, consumer technology that's got a low cost of entry, and you start to put them into people's homes, and then you develop these healthcare voice applications on top of those uh, devices, it opens up a whole new way 
of people, patients, to experience that healthcare journey. And that's what I started to get really excited about. Yeah, uh, um, well, of course, you and I share that same sort of passion and interest and, and for those exact reasons. And I, I recall the uh, voice mnemonic, uh, V-O-I-C-E mnemonic, uh, when I saw you present on that. And it's such a, a, a great way to synthesize the, the, the general value pos- proposition of voice. Um, my epiphany experience, which I've shared on this podcast, was really just being in the presence of um, in this case, a, a vision impaired elderly person who was, had an Amazon device next to him and seeing him interact with it and be able to access just basic things that um, would have been very difficult for him with any other kind of, any kind of experience, digital or paper or otherwise, like to check the weather or find out what the baseball score was and things like that. And um, so the pure accessibility of a voice first experience was what um, was the you know, real eye opener, no pun intended for me. And, um, you know, and then you start thinking about, okay, well, hands-free experience uh, uh, on top of accessibility, whether you have any issues using other digital devices or not, it's convenient, right? And um, so all those reasons came together. But when, when it comes down to healthcare, the use cases matter too, right? And, um, yes. you, know, you know, we have seen, you know, in the earliest days, I think when people were building uh, applications for voice, um, they were looking at, all right, um, how do we help people get access to information? You know, just sort of kind of a glorified search. Can I get answers to questions related to health and wellness um, with just the power of my voice? And that's not terribly difficult to do. And in fact, even now, I think if you use any of these experiences from Amazon or Google or others, you can ask basic questions. Um, you know, what, what is diabetes, et cetera. But to go to that next level, doing it in the context of a, a care program or a care plan or a coaching application, I think that is really the next tier where we've arrived. And uh, the maturity model of voice and healthcare is I think what, what's really interesting to explore I would say that um, it didn't evolve as quickly as I expected going back three years. Uh, in other words, uh, we don't see voice assistive technologies uh, universally deployed across you know, healthcare clinics and in people's home purely for healthcare uh, scenarios. However, it's out there. And I uh, wanted to get your perspective, you know, if you were to go back three years and think about voice and healthcare and then come forward to now, how has how has it met your expectations? Boy and Nate, I agree with so much, just about everything. Well, actually, I do agree with everything that you said there. I've, I don't have a whole lot to to argue there with you. Um, I, I too think that it would have progressed a little bit faster than it has. Um, I absolutely agree that there are these different t- uh, tiers of ways that people can interact with with voice technology in the healthcare field and and i've heard you speak about this at at conferences i agree with you like the way that you can just ask for information now that's pretty much standard but the thing is and what i'm starting to learn and it's interesting for the for those listeners that have you know been part of the social audio phenomenon that's been going on with 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 clubhouse i have been quite active in clubhouse and what i've learned from being on that platform and talking about voice is that outside of the voice community bubble where we talk about this stuff all the time and it's 
almost like no-brainer use cases. Like, why aren't people doing this? When you go outside of that bubble and you start talking about this stuff, people have no idea what is possible with voice technology. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if it's just like we hear about these stats about people adopting these voice technology, these uh, these smart speakers, which is which is incredible. It's being they're being adopted at a at an, a, an incredible rate, as you know, Nate. But people are not using them beyond listening to the radio or setting a timer. Um, I can't tell you how many times I'm in a room and people are like, wait, you can like add functions to your Alexa device or to your Google mm-hmm. device. Like they have no clue. And if people don't know that you can do like a simple skill on top of Amazon Alexa, how are they even going to fathom the possibility of having their healthcare delivered through a device? Yeah. Um, and so I, I think we will get there, but there's a lot of education to be done. And maybe that's just part of the the product cycle, you know, getting back to the root of your question. I, I am a little bit surprised at, at how it has not advanced quicker than it has. Yeah. I always say that with these kinds of technologies with voice and associated technologies is that the, the problem, the solution is a bit ahead of the problems that are out there. And, that, and that's not the best way of describing it, but using these technologies to solve some of the problems or improve or to drive some efficiency in the workflows in healthcare or elsewhere, um, the technology's there. And, um, but what, where the rubber meets the road is, is it really solving problems? Is it making people healthier? Is it, um, uh, you know, reducing the barrier to access to healthcare? Is it, um, you know, making it cheaper? Uh, more efficient, uh, and all those other metrics. Where we've landed as a business is, um, you know, it's we have, you know, any company that's in this space, and I've said this to other startup companies that are trying to do anything in healthcare, is you really need to, you have to fall in love with the problem before you fall in love with your solution. And um, so I think, I think that, I don't think it's completely the fault of the, um, you know, the, the healthcare uh, buyers of the world who are looking for solutions to problems that they haven't embraced voice and voice assistive technology to the degree we hoped and expected that they would, or aren't tapping into the power and potential of it. And it just feels to me that um, um, the use case alignments aren't quite worked out yet. And we've run into this in, in real terms, and I'd love your opinion on this. Um, in healthcare, there are a lot of regulations and um, in some instances, those regulations have been barriers to adoption of voice technology. In the U.S., uh, it's HIPAA and privacy and security. And um, there's enough concern about new technology generally when it comes to making sure it's secure and private. And then when you add on the subtleties of a a hands-free voice device, it has a new layer of complexity. And I, I do think that has slowed down adoption in healthcare in certain use cases for sure. Yes, I, I agree with you. Uh, and that's, you know, it's one, that's one of the frustrating things that, that I've experienced throughout my career as a physician is that, and as you, and again, you'll know this, Nate, um, healthcare innovation, uh, you know, the, the will is there, but it just takes so slow. It's just such a slow process for things to get adopted because there's so much at stake. What I will say about that, I do find this last year to be very interesting because of COVID um, and what that has done potentially to accelerate adoption of technology in healthcare, because we, we simply had no other choice. No choices. Um, yeah. 
you know, from, from my personal perspective, prior to COVID, I would go in the clinic and I would see my patients five days a week in the clinic in person 100% of the time. And now obviously that has changed. Now, now I, I'm actually in the clinic only one day a week. And otherwise I'm seeing patients through video conferencing, through phone calls, etc. That clearly is less secure than being face-to-face with a patient. But patients love the experience. It's more convenient for them. It's more efficient. And given the option, they are choosing to have the technology be the interface between the physician and the patient. And so what does that say? To me, it says that patients are willing to give up some of that security for the convenience. And could that be extended to a voice assistant if it was done correctly? I think it could. Uh, but again, there's an education piece that is missing there. But, you know, it, it kind of gets into the whole idea of the consumerism. Like, is the, is the patient, is the consumer going to drive the change that we see? And to a certain degree, we are. We now have to start planning at our clinic. What are we going to do? Because I, I work at the University of British Columbia. So a lot of our uh, timetables and scheduling for the upcoming year is based on the school schedule. And when school goes back in September, we now have to start thinking about what is our practice going to look like in September? The, as of right now, the university is planning to open up for real classes again, as opposed to online classes, in-person classes. And what does that mean for the demand for our clinic? Well, patients still like to have visits virtually. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's raising some very interesting questions. So this last year certainly has been, uh, fascinating from that perspective. Yeah. I mean, the, the concept of virtual healthcare, um, whether it's telemedicine or another kind of virtualization, I think the, um, the bar has been set right by necessity, as you pointed out a year ago or so, uh, we saw telemedicine visits go up astronomically. And it served two purposes. You know, unfortunately, it, it was necessity, but it also proved that it can be done, can be done at scale. And, and, and as you said, it proved that there is interest and a desire to have that convenience, that flexibility of a virtual visit. So, um, you know, we may not see a volume of virtual visits uh, like we saw during the height of the pandemic, you know, whatever. I can't remember, it was the Cleveland Clinic that went from 2% telemedicine visits to something like 80% in the span of a month. Um, I might have those stats wrong, but it was, it was quite high. Um, but I do think that we won't go back down to 2%, but we're going to, when we won't maybe stay at 80%, but it's, it's going to be the new normal that people expect um, efficient, effective telemedicine visits. I'd be curious to see, did you do say you're in the office one day a week right now? So yes, currently I'm in the office one day a week. So my practice went from zero uh, percent virtual to I would say at this point eighty percent virtual. At Interesting. This point. So you're probably not going to go back to zero, right? Probably not. Yeah. No. And, and I actually enjoy the experience too because it's, it's it's actually it's actually more convenient for me as well. Um, now, obviously, you know, as a physician, there's certain yes, there are certain things where we have to bring the patient. You know, th- those arguments aside, uh, you're absolutely right. We're probably going to see more of a balance. But I enjoy the experience and patients enjoy the experience. So it's going to see, it's going to be interesting to see where, you know, where that eventually settles. Right. And, and there are some intrinsic, um, you know, economic benefits, right, for the patient and for the, um, the clinician, right, um, and for the, uh, the provider facility, right, if you're, you're able to handle a certain percentage of your, 
uh, visits uh, virtually. Um, the resource savings um, are hopefully commensurate to that. Um, you know, talking about voice and virtual assistive technology layered on top of that, one of the use cases we've um, supported is this concept that when a person is entering into a telemedicine visit, they may have to wait for a period of time. And in that window of time, whether it's a few minutes to, you know, I've seen them be 10 minutes and more, that they can engage with a virtual assistant, a bot, that uh, will answer questions and collect information and that can be used to facilitate the, the telemedicine visit, but it may also be used to kind of keep that patient engaged during the wait period. Um, and uh, so we've actually implemented those kind of experiences. And this idea that you could have a, a virtual assistant, voice powered or otherwise, that can serve as a, um, um, you know, a proxy to handle maybe the lower acuity questions um, adds another layer of efficiency. And I do think that that is a use case that has real value, particularly in this world where telemedicine virtual visits are going to become uh, more of a normal mode of operation. I agree 100%. And, and we, some of our uh, EMR, our electronic medical records, the system that we use, um, it does have some of that capability so we can send out questionnaires and things to yep. patients beforehand. Um, extending that to voice, uh, you know, which, which we don't have the capability of doing right now with our particular system, but why not ask those questionnaires when the person's lying in bed in the morning and they just talk to their assistant and then it gets documented in their chart. Um, I think that's a great use case. Um, <laughs> I'd love to yeah. see that implemented. And uh, not to take this too far, uh, again, this is an example maybe where technology is there, uh, but the use case and demand isn't quite there yet. There are technologies out there for, um, uh, you know, digital people, you know, these virtual avatar uh, that can speak uh, and engage with you um, in a kind of quasi-human conversation. Uh, we always, you know, we think of uh, Alexa and similar technologies as being uh, you know, a personified uh, digital assistant. And uh, you can imagine these telemedicine visits where up on the screen is maybe not the head of Dr. Terry Fisher, but a, uh, you know, an avatar that, you know, says uh, Dr. Fisher will be with you shortly in the meantime. Um, do you have any questions about uh, the visit? Um, you know, can I ask you a few questions? And that, that idea that, um, you know, an admitting nurse uh, can be a virtual assistant, voice activated and voice powered. Um, technology really is very close, if not already there. It's more, is it, you know, is the use case and are the value proposition strong enough to introduce it? Absolutely. I, I agree with you. I mean, that's a great use case. Um, and I keep thinking in terms of um, that, that I like to call it the healthcare journey, right? From the time a patient feels unwell until they get better. And what are the different touch points that this patient is going to encounter along that journey? Uh, and it could start with, for example, a phone call to a hotline about a symptom, and they're just not sure what they should do. Could that be an AI type experience where they, again, talk to a smart speaker? Uh, then again, the nurse taking the, the vitals. Um, that's a whole other area, but I wonder if like, our voice is going to become a vital sign for us uh, mm. because of the, the data that can be held in our voice through these vocal biomarkers and being able to detect diseases and mental health illnesses and all this sort of stuff. Um, so there's that aspect of it. And then, like you said, there's these touch points like the nurse, the physician, an aftercare plan after post-surgery. 
uh, being able to get your medications delivered to your door, refills all through voice, through voice. There are so many different touch points there on that healthcare journey. Um, and, and, and a lot of the technology exists to have that done today. If, if, you know, if, if it's not achievable today, we're, we, like you say, we're pretty close. You know, we, we started this loosely around this concept of the consumerization of healthcare. The idea of the consumerization of healthcare is that uh, healthcare be generally more personalized and that uh, individual patients have more, be more empowered to make decisions about their health. Um, and that consumer technology will be play a role and consumer service will play a role in informing that. And I think to the degree that something like Amazon, Alexa, and similar technologies are a consumer play initially that are in, you know, informing the potential of these type of um, healthcare experiences. Uh, um, it's, a, you know, it's a great archetype to kind of hold up there. But uh, we, we already talked about some of the obstacles and uh, some of the opportunities. Have there been, from your point of view, in the news, anything that you would suggest that's noteworthy with respect to voice technology and healthcare, and I, I would maybe ask you specifically about Microsoft and Nuance. If you have any opinion on that news, yeah, I mean that was that was that was big news. Um, you know, I, I'm not I I won't claim to be an expert on on that acquisition, but what it says to me in a general sense is that when you're talking about the sums of money that they that that went down for, and I can't remember exactly what the number was off the top of my head. Yeah, um, close to twenty million, twenty billion. I think. Yes, yeah. it was a, it was a it was a huge huge number, whatever it was. Um, you know, what does that say about Microsoft's take on voice technology? And I think it bodes very well for the industry as a whole. Uh, as as you know, Nate, and probably many of the listeners here know, nuances or was a a huge leader in voice technology and they have invested a huge amount of money into creating everything from the transcription software to to the the experiences where you could have a bot listening to an encounter and you know being able to chart that for a physician and the fact that Microsoft goes out and targets that technology uh, says that uh, Microsoft is obviously very bullish on voice tech in general. So I, I, I think it's a good sign that there's the interest there. Uh, I'm just curious to see, as I'm sure many other people are, what it is that Microsoft now does with this and see where they go from there. Yeah, indeed. Maybe to, to wrap up, Terry, I would love to get your perspective, uh, well, two things. Your perspective on what do you think is going to be the next voice-related innovation in healthcare. I think I know what you're going to say, but I'll let you say it. And then also, before we wrap up, uh, maybe you could share with the audience uh, more information about the Clubhouse conference you have coming up and um, and uh, maybe just uh, some clarification on where they can find more of some of your uh, high-value high resources. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. Um, you know, as far as what I think is coming next, there's actually sort of two things that I that I think are, we're going to be seeing, and one sort of melds into the other. And and I'll start with the first one is is the idea of the the vocal biomarkers, um, and again that's the idea of the metadata in my voice. And the, the example that I like to give to people is you know again if my son comes home from school, and I ask him how school was one day, and he says to me it was great, right? That's got a meaning. And then if I ask him the thing the next day, the same question. And he says to me, it was great, right? The, the, the key thing here is that the words out of, out of 
his mouth in this example, are exactly the same. Exactly the same. But the meaning is completely different. And us as human beings can distinguish that. We have the ability to distinguish that. How are we doing that? We're listening to the rate of his speech, the, the, the melody of his speech, the prosody, which way the inflection in the speech goes. And we can obviously process this extremely fast. But here's the, here's the really amazing thing is that if we can get samples of that and feed that into computers and use AI and machine learning and all those fancy words and all the algorithms, then the machines can spit back to us, this sounds like a person that's becoming depressed. Or this sounds like a person that is developing Alzheimer's. Or, and, and you'll know this as well, Nate, uh, there's been studies that show us, you know, a statistically significant correlation between the way someone speaks, the sound of their voice, and the risk of coronary artery disease or congestive heart failure. There's been even some studies that looked at mortality rates. And so what does that mean for us? It means that just by speaking, potentially we can be monitored, our health can be monitored, and hopefully we can be alerted to some of these diseases or illnesses before they become a big problem. And to me, that means that people can have their health monitored in a non-invasive way from the comfort of their own home. Yes, of course, there's privacy security issues with this. You know, we'll put the, that argument aside for, for now. That's not an easy argument to, 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 to just kind of put aside for now, but we will for the sake of argument here. Um, and if someone chooses this technology, I believe is going to be extreme. And, 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 you know, a great example nowadays is actually using those vocal signals to develop um, the probability or to predict the probability of having COVID. So mm -hmm. that's one area of aspect that I think is going to become increasingly, uh, we're going to be hearing more and more about that in the, in the near future. And the other part is just when you put that into that whole sort of consumer experience that we were talking about, where a person can wake up in the morning this kind of maybe sums out everything that we were saying. A person can wake up in the morning and they cough and the assistant listens to them and starts asking them questions about how they're feeling and starts to listen to the vocal biomarkers and starts to make a, uh, you know, a, a diagnosis based on that and then starts to suggest care, maybe even order antibiotics, get them sent to the home. Again, that's that whole healthcare journey that is done from the comfort of someone's home, decentralized. And I think that's where we're going to be going in the future. And you mentioned Amazon. Amazon is... You know, they, they've got the channels to do that, whether it's delivery of medications, whether it's the smart assistant, um, their, their kind of foray into healthcare. Um, they have a lot of the pieces that they could pull this off if they, if they chose to do so. So those are the things I'm excited about. And uh, yeah, I, th I think we're in for uh, an exciting ride in the next uh, five years or so. Yeah, and uh, with the big guys like Amazon and uh, Microsoft and, uh, of course, Apple and Google all um, investing quite heavily in this. And in the case of Amazon, well, I would say Google as well. Amazon had a knockout year <laughs> this past year. The, the pandemic helped them. I think I might have listened to one of your uh, little analyses of their uh, quarterly numbers from Q1. But uh, That's right. Um, you know, the pandemic uh, and the number of uh, purchases that everybody's been making over Amazon, it's not hurt that business at all. And uh, you can expect them to continue to invest pretty heavily. And in, in, um, I think healthcare, um, even though they pulled back in some areas, they've um, done quite a lot of work. Um, but uh, very interesting, Terry. Thank you so much for joining. Before we wrap, um, maybe you could share a little bit more information such as you may have about the uh, Clubhouse Conference and anything else you want to share with the audience. Sure. Thanks. Well, first, let me say thanks so much, Nate, for, for inviting me. It's, it's always a lot of fun to chat with you. We've been having these kind of conversations on and off over the last couple of years, and it's, it's nice to be able to catch up and, 
and continue the conversations and, and look back now and see the way things have gone or have not gone. And it's fun to, it's fun to think about that. So thanks. Thanks yeah. for the opportunity. I've got quite a, I think a large presence on social media. It's it, there are all the handles are the same. It's Dr. Terry Fisher, D R T E R I F I S H E R. So that's the same on Twitter, Instagram clubhouse. If you're there and I do these events, the voice den, you can check it out at the voice den.com and this new uh, conference that we just announced, uh, it's called the voice con live. So, uh, people can access that at voicecon.live. That would be the website. Um, and it will be, yeah, 28 hour conference on clubhouse covering all time zones and uh, lots of speakers and uh, lots of fun. And we're going to cap it off with an augmented reality party where people will be able to join us in a space and it'll be fun. You get to move around and experience it and immerse yourself in conversations with people in different areas of the, of the, of the room, so to speak. So, uh, it should be a lot of fun and uh, I encourage anybody to, to reach out and, and contact me. I'm always happy to talk about this kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely, Terry, and uh, thanks for that information. No shyness about cutting-edge technology coming from Dr. Terry Fisher. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Terry, thank you again so much. Uh, it's been a pleasure to catch up with you, and I wish you all the best with the conference and everything else. Thanks so much, Nate. And again, pl- pleasure to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to Conversations with Orbita, Episode 7 with Dr. Terry Fisher. And until the next time, we'll see you later. 